Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time to look at these words. And we pray that you would feed us, challenge us, help us to see what these words that may be very familiar to us, what they, what they mean, what we may have missed, so that we can know you better. Amen. Well, yeah, it's not often that you have the opportunity as a preacher to preach on a banned text. Do you remember a couple of years ago, in the, there was a video of the Lord's Prayer, and it was made by the Church of England, so it was perfectly respectable, and all it had in it was the words of the Lord's Prayer, and some people kind of saying these words. And it was banned from UK cinemas. Uh, where they try to put it on, in case it might offend people watching Star Wars and uh, cause them to choke on their popcorn. And uh, it provoked a bit of debate at the time, and um, I think it's quite possible that as a result of all the debate it provoked, actually loads more people saw the video, because they went online and had a look at it to see what on earth it could possibly be saying. Um, and one of the most interesting things, though, about the response to it was the was that was in the discussion was that lots of people including lots of christians kind of went well look it's just the lord's prayer it's just the lord's prayer it's nothing special come on it's just, you know it's it's, it's you know, the, the prayer that is said daily in many schools in hospitals in prisons the armed forces and of course in churches as well as in homes and everywhere else in between it's just the lord's prayer it's nothing very offensive and to be honest it's not even very challenging is it It trips off the tongue if you were sort of brought up in a place where they said the lord's prayer you'll kind of know it won't you in your um deep down you just kind of you say it without thinking about it uh, even if it gets slightly confusing since the words were slightly modernized but should there really be such a fuss about something so innocent and bland and anemic as the lord's prayer Well, I want to suggest that it's only familiarity and complacency that can make us think that somehow the Lord's Prayer is safe, neutral, innocuous, harmless. You know, whether it's right for the cinema is a slightly different question, isn't it? But let's let's not be fooled into overlooking the power and importance of this model prayer that Jesus gave his followers. The the prayer is right at the centre of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus has been saying so far in this mouth-watering manifesto? He's been saying, stop dumbing down the law, you Pharisees and so-called teachers of the law. Stop reducing it to a list of achievable tasks. Understand that God's standard is perfection. And more than that, that, that God is more interested in your heart than your outward legal observance. It's not about rule keeping, it's about relationship. And so here at the heart, which is, this is right at the centre of, you know, literally if you look at the words either side, this is at the centre, this is the central passage of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. What we get is a prayer that is all about relationship. Can you see that in, in the words? So last week, David helped us with the bits surrounding this prayer in verses 1 to 18, if you, if you were here. J- just note, if you, if you look at the verses immediately before this, in verses 5 to 8, 
Um, It's ironic that the Lord's Prayer is often just something that we repeat mindlessly, which is, as we were saying before, is kind of how we do it, isn't it? Because actually that's exactly what Jesus condemns in verse 7, if that's all we do with it. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It's, It's not that the words themselves of this prayer are the kind of magic words that, you know, make God do stuff. It's not what we pray, but how we pray. Do you see that in verse 9? That's what Jesus says, isn't it? This then is not what you should pray so much, although it's a great thing to pray. This then is how you should pray. It's our attitude, as we say it, that actually matters. That's why we need to understand it. And that will help us to pray in our own prayers, uh, by ourselves and together as God's people. So what I want to do is just to go through this prayer very simply, and then we're going to end by praying the Lord's Prayer together line by line. So that's why if you look on the, um, the notice sheet on the back, uh, you see that I've sort of printed it out there, and I put it in the way that we, that we often say it, in the sort of modern language, but it's not exactly the same as you'll see in the, uh, in the Bible in front of you. Uh, debtors is, is sins, and we'll see that later. And uh, if, you, if you look at the bottom, we've got that little extra bit, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever, amen. And if you, look, if you look in the Bible, in verse 13, there's a little footnote, which you can't even see if you're, you know, if it's t- tiny, isn't it? But it goes right down to the bottom, and then it, you can see, actually, this is something that probably was added in later manuscripts by enthusiastic scribes, so that's why they kind of realised, actually, this isn't meant to be here. But when you look at what it actually says, it's a great way to finish the prayer, which is why we sort of tend to say it uh, when we're saying the prayer together as God's people. Because remember, this is not what we should pray, this is how we should pray. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these, um, through these verses. Uh, there's two sections to it, if you look. There's a structure to it. The first half is... Um, there's two sets of three requests of petitions. The first half is focused on God himself. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the first half. And then secondly, focused on us, our needs. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or sins. Lead us not into temptation. So let's look at those, um, two, uh, those, those main sections of the prayer. Before those three, two, two sets of three petitions, he begins by saying, Our Father in heaven. It's a kind of headline. It's like an address uh, for the prayer. But that means it's easy to ignore it, doesn't it? If you think, like, it's just, oh, it's just the envelope. We want to get to the content. But let's not miss the significance of what Jesus is implying by, by praying, Our Father in heaven. Actually, if you, if you think about it, it's the gospel in four words. That God, who is in heaven, who is ruling and reigning over the world he created, that God, Christians, can call him Father. And we say, well, I mean, but what about, our, what about our sin? What about the ways we've rejected him? What about the ways we continue to think not of him but ourselves? What about the times we intend to pray but we don't? What about all those good intentions that come to nothing? Can we really call God our Father and expect him to hear us? That is what Jesus is saying, isn't it? We, we, and we know it's a relationship and intimacy that we have only 
because of his death for us that brings us into his family. Our Father in heaven, whoever we are, whatever we've done, he listens to his children who trust in his Son when we pray. How does God the Father think of his Son? Think of that relationship, that intimacy. That is the kind of intimacy that we have with our Father in heaven. We have access to that through Jesus' death. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So then these three uh, requests, the first three requests addressed to God. So often our, our prayers are purely about our own concerns. And we get to those in this prayer, but only when they've been put in perspective. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. May your name be holy. Not that God is not already holy and hallowed, but think of how God's name is often used you know, as a swear word, as a joke, in the context of ingratitude, indifference. In fact, so often our secret prayer, though, is the opposite, isn't it? We may not pray it, but we may think it, we may feel it. What do we kind of say? We say, hallowed be my name. And God and others can come a distant second or third. But it can't be like that for the Christian, can it? What is the chief end of man, says the Westminster Shorter Catechism? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we are here. Our lives and the lives of those around us are only rightly ordered when we point away from others to the greatness of God, when we acknowledge that we are ordinary people serving an infinite God, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name, not ours. Then your kingdom come. Again, whose kingdom? Whose kingdom come? See, in just three short words, those who pray this prayer give up the fight for power for ourselves. When we pray this prayer, we're refusing to let ourselves be defined by the world's criteria for success. So in the, in, the, in the kingdom of the world, if you like, what is success? What does it look like? Well, it looks like getting more power, getting more influence, getting more money, more Twitter followers. The kingdom of the world, as we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is concerned purely with our standing among other human beings but not so in the kingdom of God. What does the world make of the Christian doctor or lawyer who gives up a promising career in the UK to practice medicine or law or something as a missionary in East Africa among people who do not know the name of Jesus? The whispered conversations by the water cooler pity and mock such a person. But that person knows what it means to pray, your kingdom come. They know that in a small way they can be a part of that answer to that prayer. And we don't have to go overseas and be a missionary in order to be a part of that answer to prayer either, do we? But it's a question of whether our lives are oriented around me and my desires, my kingdom, or the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's nothing bland or anemic about that as a request, is there? 
In one sense, it's the very first step of Christian discipleship. Lord, my life is no longer about what I want, but it's about what you want. But again, our desire so easily becomes, my will be done. My will be done in heaven as it is on earth. That's what we want, isn't it? God, can you do things my way? I I know how to do things down here, so Lord, would you mind following along um, in the way that you, you get stuff done up there? so that my life can go better, please. We long for God to be a little bit more like us, rather than us to be a little bit more like God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we really pray that kind of prayer? Do we, do we really want to pray that kind of prayer? See, we will only pray your will be done as Christian people when we truly believe and trust that God is our Father. Our loving Father. Why is that so important? Because we need to know that he knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows and wants what is best for us. He's not a tyrant. He's not a sort of distant God, uninterested in the the circumstances of our lives. No, he is our heavenly father. And so you can pray, your will, not my will be done, because you trust him, because you know that he loves you. Can we be sure that we trust him? That we can trust him? The the, the answer is that this is one part of the Lord's prayer that we know that Jesus prayed himself in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. You thought, think about that? You know, faced with the greatest trial of all as he knew his own death was approaching at the cross, he prayed with tears, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. This isn't something that Jesus is asking us to pray, that he wasn't willing to pray himself. As he faced the full horror of, of the death that was approaching. So when we, when we pray this, can we trust God even if things seem to be out of control? Even if the world and our lives seem to be falling apart? Well, look at what happened with Jesus. As he aligned his human will with his Father's will in the garden, there was glory at the cross, and after the glory of the cross came the glory of the resurrection. The resurrection means God will always have the last word. Even in the most painful of circumstances, we can pray, your will be done, because we know resurrection is coming. God's kingdom is coming. Jesus is coming. It's going to be okay. You can trust your heavenly Father. So that is the first main section of, of the prayer, fo- focused on God. Then we turn to focus on ourselves in the remaining three requests. Give us today our daily bread. Isn't this very often where our prayers start? But when we've prayed, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, we, we pray as people who are satisfied in our Heavenly Father and in all that he means to us. And so we ask him then to meet our needs. Not all our wants, but our needs. See, we depend on God for everything, don't we? But we, we, we forget that. You know, we live in the days of the Tesco app, 
where you can just, you know, oh, I'm running out of this, I'll just put it on my phone. And lo and behold, it turns up at the door a few days later with the crucial news of whether or not there have been any substitutions. See, dependence on God can end up being a luxury that we only bother with when everything else fails, isn't it? That's how we often approach it, particularly in the West, in London. Why, Why depend on God? You don't need to, people would say. But that's what we're asked to do and what we need to do. We also haven't yet noted the fact that this prayer is not just about me and my needs and my father, but it's to our father. Give us today our daily bread. Do you see that? It's not give me today my daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And so when we pray this together, uh, not just as a congregation, but we're praying it with the worldwide church, aren't we? We're praying for one another. We're praying for those who actually today don't have bread to eat and maybe seeking to see what it means to trust in Jesus in those circumstances. We're, we're praying for those who, where the issue is not bread, but it's health. It's, it's, life is very difficult for them today. We're praying, give us today our daily bread. Lord, would you satisfy what we need? And the way that God answers that isn't, isn't always the way that we think he ought to, but again, that's about not my will be done, but your will be done. Not in heaven as it is on earth, but on earth as it is in heaven. And we don't always know how it is in heaven with the circumstances that we face and why we're going through whatever it is. But we can pray and trust that God is a God who supplies what we really need. Martin Luther saw this as a prayer against the oppression of the poor and for a just society. He he said this about those who do injustice. He said, let them beware of the intercession of the church and let them take care that this petition of the Lord's Prayer does not turn against them. So is this just the Lord's Prayer? Can you see? This is revolutionary, isn't it? There are echoes here as well of the Israelites in the desert. Do you remember how they were given manna, miraculously, but but only one day at a time? When they tried to gather more, it went bad. And we'll see that again later in the chapter when we we read about Jesus' words about tomorrow. Tomorrow is another day. God promises to provide for us today, so don't worry about tomorrow. Well, how will I cope then if my worst dreams come true? How will I survive if the money runs out? Give us Today, our daily bread. Stop fretting about tomorrow, but trust that God will still be answering that prayer when you get there and you find what tomorrow is going to bring in reality. The last two main requests then about debt or sin and and, and then temptation in some ways go together, don't they? We have prayed for God to provide for our physical needs and finally we see what actually are our greatest needs, our spiritual needs for God to forgive our sin on the inside and to protect us from temptation on the outside. It's striking that forgiveness of sin is tied so closely to the willingness to forgive others. Do you see that in the way that that, that Jesus continues in verses 14 and 15? Seeing sin in terms of the debt we owe to God is helpful, isn't it? Because it reminds us of that parable that, that Jesus taught about the debtor who owes a massive debt to his master, and his master writes off the debt. 
But then this debtor himself has debtors who owe him small amounts of money. And he refuses to have mercy on them and he puts them in prison. And the master overturns his decision to write off the massive debt and he throws his servants into prison. See, this model prayer that Jesus teaches takes us to the bread and butter of the Christian life, doesn't it? If we, if we really grasp what it means to be forgiven by a holy and good God, how can we withhold that forgiveness from others? That's an everyday thing, isn't it? It's something we encounter everywhere, at work, at home, in our daily relationships. Forgive as we have been forgiven. That is the standard of discipleship. No one's saying it's easy. But that is the standard. And again, it's about the mouth-watering kingdom. Wouldn't it be fantastic to live in a kingdom that is like that? I want to be part of that. Well, put your trust in Jesus and follow him. The final request then, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is really one request said in different ways. A prayer for protection from temptation and evil. So why do we need to pray this? Because ultimately we don't want this relationship we enjoy with God to be broken. Temptation can come in all kinds of different forms, in both joy and sorrow, in both want and plenty. You can still be tempted when you think everything's going well, can't you? Because then you think you'll be tempted to think you've made it. And, and, and then uh, when we despair that we haven't, in fact, made it, well, all those things can drive us from God. We need to pray that whatever life brings, whether in, in the eyes of ourselves and the world around us it looks good or it looks difficult, we need to pray that whatever our circumstances, we would be resisting the temptation to depend on ourselves and either be proud or despair at ourselves. Not to do that, but to depend on him and not turn away to one side or another. See, that is fundamentally what this model prayer is about. God's people relating to our Heavenly Father in adoration, in obedience, in dependence. That's why we pray, even though God already knows what we're going to pray before we ask him. Did you see that? Did you see that in verse 8? It's exactly what he says, isn't it? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Sometimes that puzzles people. You know, what's the point then? What's the point of praying? Well, the point is, prayer is not a shopping list, is it? It's not a sort of list of things you want. It's a way of our expressing our relationship, our dependence on our Heavenly Father. We're saying to God, you are our, our Father. You are in control. We depend on you. We need you. And prayer helps you to orient your life, to point it in that direction, rather than the direction that we so often go um, by, in our own ways, in our own strength. So that is the Lord's Prayer. Concise, simple, and yet profound and life-changing. So what I'd love to do now is for us to spend a few moments praying through this prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, well, no, we are going to pray together the lines as they're written here in bold, one at a time. But in between, I'll lead us in, in some prayer in response to each of those lines. So if you get that 
We'll say it on the, the just clarity, we'll say it from these words on here, which is a sort of modern version of the Lord's Prayer. And let's let's pray. So together we pray. Our Father in heaven. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to relate to you as our Father through Jesus who died for us. Thank you that you love us, your children, like you love your son. So that whatever our experience of human fathers might have been, we can know you as our heavenly Father. Thank you that you reign from heaven as the Lord of the universe and you hear us when we pray as our Father in heaven. So together we pray, hallowed be your name. Father God, you are the King of kings. You deserve all our worship and praise. May we seek your glory alone. May we honour you with our whole lives because of who you are and what you have done. May it be your name we want to see lifted up and glorified, not our name. Together we pray, your kingdom come. Father, we have our schemes and our plots and our desires for the world and for our lives, but we acknowledge that that your kingdom, not ours, is the one that matters. May our lives be centred around your kingdom. May we be willing to go wherever your kingdom takes us. May we long for the day when the whole earth bows at the feet of King Jesus. And together we pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Father, we tremble as we pray those words. We know that when we we respond to your call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you, it won't always be easy. It may sometimes be very difficult, but we know that we can trust you, that we can know joy in the midst of suffering and struggles, that your will is to make us more like Jesus and make us ready for eternity with him. And so as we have acknowledged that our Father God is King and we are his servants, we humbly turn to think of our own needs. So together we pray, give us today our daily bread. We we remember with great humility how every breath we take is a gift from you. We, We depend on you for our lives. We acknowledge your kindness and goodness in so many ways. We ask you to provide not our selfish wants, but our daily Needs. We think of those who today lack daily bread here in London and across the world. We pray for a world where all those who cry out to you find their needs met. And together we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
We think about our sin and rebellion against you, Father, not to make ourselves just feel bad or wallow in our guilt, but in order to marvel once again at your forgiveness, your love, your loving kindness to sinners. And as we receive that afresh, we pray that you would help us to reflect to others the forgiveness, love and mercy that you have shown to us. If we're struggling with that, with a particular person or people, we give that to you and we pray for the power and the, the, the ability to forgive as you have forgiven us. Together we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We remember, Father, that we are in a spiritual battle. The evil one would love nothing more than for your children to turn away from you. We recognise that both poverty and riches can in different ways tempt us away from you and we pray for protection from both. May we be so satisfied in you that all that the world can offer will seem insignificant and futile next to the joy of knowing you and following you. And so we draw these prayers together as we pray for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.